This is the Howell Creek Radio address for Wednesday, February 17th. I'm Joel Duick. having a bit of trouble getting anything onto paper tonight, so I'm going to break out the old Smith Corona Super Sterling. That is a typewriter. Charles Dickens is enjoying something of a renaissance at Howell Creek. Trixie and I having just got through the complete audiobook of Nicholas Nickleby on our iPods, and after only a short break from old Charles D. by way of the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, have plunged ahead into our mutual friend, unabridged, all 36 and a half hours strong. This heavy dosage may find its way into my writing in some form or other, I must warn you. So, on my weekly or semi-weekly visits to half-priced books, where once my undiscerning eyes would have glossed over volumes bearing the old master's name, I now find that it stops and stays a moment. Rather like Poe's Raven didn't. One particular book caught my eye, a photocopy of Dickens' complete autograph of A Christmas Carol, the original handwritten manuscript. He wrote all his books that way, you know. I leafed through it. It was almost like finding a clue to something. There was Jacob Marley, wondering in his wretched way why he never raised his eyes to that blessed star in the original hand of the man that first had seen him doing it. I found myself wondering how much of Dickens' style, his famous phraseology, was a result of simply the physical limitations of this mode of composition. Often when writing in my own journal or notebooks, I have hit on a phrase that served me infinitely more better than the one that had at first suggested itself to me, simply because I was running out of room on the current page and didn't want to start another, fearing lest my invention should not be equal to a fair use of the page following. There you see, I'm doing it again. I wonder if Dickens ever found the same thing true. Uh, not to compare myself to that worthy, but you know, just the idea of the thing suggests itself to one. Surely nature and nurture together must hold, hold account for the lion's share of his output and the way he has of holding it forth. Mightn't a sliver of the credit go to these mundane and homely features that attend anything written by hand? For example, mightn't Oliver Twist's having famously asked, Please, sir, I want some more, for example, been even in part unconsciously suggested by Dickens' pen running out of ink? How many of the surprising and well-played turns of phrase that, taken together, added up to a voice in English literature beloved across generations, fell out the way they did simply because, in the course of penning his lines, the author cut and dealt his deck so as to avoid an impending page break. It is a well-known fact that even tasks seemingly unrelated to writing or creativity, such as shaving or mowing the lawn, mundane tasks which put one's mind in a low-focused meditative state while the motor skills are otherwise occupied, are especially fertile ground for good ideas creative breakthroughs. Why not, then, the act of writing itself, of putting pen to paper, 
The linguists have agreed that we can only think in no more ter exalted and noble terms than our particular language allows us. I agree, and will tell you that, sitting here behind this typewriter, I think differently than I do when I'm holding only my pen. And someday, when the last typewriter has failed to sell at the last ever garage sale, and there are no more parts or ribbons left to supply it with, I will never be able to think the same way again. Mr. and Mrs. Boffin sat after breakfast in the bower, a prey to prosperity. Mr. Boffin's face denoted care and complication. Many disordered papers were before him, and he looked at them about as hopefully as an innocent civilian might look at a crowd of troops whom he was required at five minutes' notice to maneuver and review. He had been engaged in some attempts to make notes of these papers, but being troubled, as men of his stamp often are, with an exceedingly distrustful and corrective thumb, that busy member had so often interposed to smear his notes that they were little more legible than the various impressions of itself which blurred his nose and forehead. It is curious to consider, in such a case as Mr. Boffin's, what a cheap article ink is, and how far it may be made to go. As a grain of musk will scent a drawer for many a year, and still lose nothing appreciable of its original weight, so a halfpenny worth of ink would blot Mr. Boffin to the roots of his hair and the calves of his legs, without inscribing a line on the paper before him, or appearing to diminish in the inkstand.